Welcome to Kevin Connors Podcast. This series is on the Tabernacle of Moses, which is the topic of one of the first books that Kevin Connor wrote about. Visit kevinconnor.org for more details. All right, now let's uh, turn to uh, the book of Exodus, and we're going to go to uh, mainly the first passage here on Revelation. Uh, I'm sorry, on uh, the revelation of the tabernacle of the Lord. And you'll notice uh, our session uh, seven here tonight is the Ark of the Covenant, the glory presence of God. All right, so uh, may, may, see how you go for your memory here of what we've learned so far. All right, so the first article of furniture we approach is the uh, brazen altar, which we call the, anybody remember that far back? The way of approach. Let's all say it together. Way of approach, only through the blood. And then uh, we, the next uh, article of furniture was the brazen laver, and this was the way of washing of water by the word, but the uh, title I had was the way of cleansing. All right. Okay, and then uh, I think we went to the lampstand, and this was, the gone lampstand is walking in the light, <laughs> good, and then we went to the table of showbread, which is the bread of life, Jesus, the bread of life, and then that whole pattern there, and then the last article we looked at was golden altar of incense, and this is Life of prayer, okay? So tonight we're going to look at the Ark of the Covenant, most magnificent uh, uh, furniture, and as we'll see by uh, in a moment here, it is actually the most important article. If you want to take down any notes here, it's the most important article. And uh, there are more references to the Ark of the Covenant in the total Bible than all the rest of the furniture put, put, put together. And anticipating the reason is this. This is the only article upon which the very presence, the glory presence of God dwelt. And it gave courage to all, to all the other pieces of furniture. They found their value in relation to the ark. And everything in the church, you see all these other things, we see how they apply in, in the church, the blood of Jesus, the washing of water by the word, uh, walking in the light, uh, the communion table and communion with the word of God and the, our ministry of prayer and so forth. All these things relate to us uh, particularly, but this relates particularly to the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And so I think there's about 190 references to the Ark of the Covenant, and as we'll see tonight, just some amazing things. So it, it points strictly to the Lord Jesus Christ and his glory presence in the midst of the church. So that's why it's the most important article. All right, I'm going to leave this diagram on. Uh, if you want to get to colouring, and you've got, a, you've got a diagram at the back of your notes there, so you can do some colouring, but I'll leave that on for a little while here. All right, so let's turn to Exodus chapter 25. Exodus chapter 25, and we'll have a uh, little bit of a running commentary here as we uh, work through the first part, and then I want to spend the uh, major time, as always, on the, uh, the application. All right, so Exodus chapter 25. And we're going to read from verses 10 through to 22. And as you've got on your notes, and we keep repeating these things, uh, this was given by divine revelation to Moses, the old covenant mediator. And uh, though we've been working from the, uh, uh, the manward side, God, when he began with the, uh, the tabernacle of Moses, he began with himself. The ark was actually the first uh, article of furniture that was made. So uh, doing it in proper order, God always begins with himself. In the beginning, God. We've gone the other way and worked from uh, the man would approach to God, but uh, biblically, uh, God begins with himself. The ark of his uh, the testimony, and as I said, all other articles of furniture take their character and their value from uh, this, uh, this article here. All right, now, because we believe the Bible is inspired, everybody said Amen. And that the words are not there to fill up the book. Let's listen to the uh, language as Moses was given to write there. And I'm going to read from the old authorized here. It just says uh, some of the uh, words that I want to uh, uh, deal with. And they shall make an ark of uh, chittim wood, acacia wood. Uh, two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof, and a cubit and a half the breadth thereof, and a cubit and a half the height thereof. And thou shalt overlay it with pure gold, within and without shall you overlay it. And thou shalt make upon it a crown of gold round about. 
And thou shalt cast four rings of gold for it, and put them in the four corners thereof. And two rings shall be in the one side of it, and two rings in the other side of it. And thou shalt make staves of uh, acacia wood, I'll use that, it's a better word, um, and overlay them with gold. And thou shalt put the staves into the rings by the sides of the ark, that the ark may be born with them. The staves shall be uh, in the rings of the ark, they shall not be taken from it. And thou shalt put into the ark the testimony which I shall give thee, and thou shalt make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof, and a cubit and a half the breadth thereof. And thou shalt make two cherubims of gold, of beaten work shalt thou make them in the two ends of the mercy seat, and make one cherubim, listen, you know, the language is so inspired, make one cherub on the one end, and the other cherub on the other end, even uh, of the mercy seat shall you make the cherubims on the two ends thereof. And the cherubims shall stretch forth their wings on high, covering the mercy seat with their wings, and their faces shall look one toward another, toward the mercy seat shall the faces of the cherubims be. And thou shalt put the mercy seat above upon the ark, and in the ark thou shalt put the testimony that I shall give thee, and there I will meet with thee, and I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubims which are upon the ark of the testimony of all things which I will give thee in commandment unto the children of Israel. Pray that the Lord will bless uh, that word to our hearts. All right, now, uh, so uh, under letter A on your notes there, you've got given by divine revelation to Moses. And uh, if you haven't made a note of it already, remember, it was the first article of furniture that was made. And is, it represents the throne of God. And God always begins with himself, in the beginning God, and then man comes next. We've gone the other way around just to help us in our approach to God. All right, under letter B, in Exodus chapter 37, verses 1 to 9, we find that Moses made everything according to the pattern showed in the Mount Sinai, and as we constantly said, nothing is left to the mind or the imagination of man uh, or Moses. Everything is built according to the pattern. So when God said, you know, all these intricate details, how to make the ark, how to make the furniture in his house, God must have had something in mind. That's what we're saying. God just didn't uh, uh, say these things for the sheer fun of it. He had something in mind. All right, under letter C, we'll just have a bit of a running commentary here on uh, this part here. I'll spend a bit more time on a couple of areas uh, as we move through. All right, uh, number one, it's materials, acacia wood. Everybody knows the answer to this. It's uh, literally the incorruptible wood, and it speaks of the sinless human nature of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the sinless human nature of our Lord Jesus Christ, the incorruptible humanity, the uh, Hebrews referred to as an incorruptible wood. So the sinless human nature of Jesus and gold points to the divine nature. So two materials never, uh, never becoming each other. So the human nature and the divine nature. So the divine nature, in other words, Jesus Christ is Emmanuel, God with us. So the uh, divine nature, the human nature in one ark of the covenant. So the divine nature and the human nature in one person, our Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Number two is measurements. I'll just say these and uh, uh, as I said, it'll be a bit of a running commentary. Uh, the length of the, the ark was two and a half cubits. So when we look at the ark of the covenant, the uh, oblong box we have here, these are the measurements. We'll spend time on the uh, cherubim and the mercy seat and the while but the measurements of the ark was two and a half cubits then the width was one and a half cubits and the height was one and a half cubits all right now we can only say a, a couple of thoughts on this but what we find as you go through the different uh, uh, articles of furniture here uh, the, God, God must have had something in mind and uh, if we're not consistent at least God is the measurements of this one and a half cubits are linked uh, in, the, in the brazen altar, the table of showbread, and the Ark of the Covenant. So the grate, listen carefully here, so the grate which upheld the sacrifice was one and a half cubits high, uh, pointing to the sacrifice, pointing to the cross, upholding Jesus. Then the table of showbread uh, was one and a half cubits high. And then the Ark of the Covenant, where the mercy seat was, was one and a half cubits high. So God had some connecting thought between one and a half cubits high for sacrifice, 
one and a half cubits high for communion and one and a half cubits high for mercy. So same measurements and linking these three articles. So spiritual sense, we would go once we accept the blood of Jesus and his sacrifice, then we can go and have communion. And at communion, we thank God for his mercy. So uh, just that uh, same height, linking those three articles of furniture all the way uh, 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 must have had some significance. All right. The next part we look at is um, uh, its crown, number three, its crown. And uh, again, like the table and the golden altar, three articles of furniture had a crown on it. And uh, so, as I said before, when Jesus died on the cross, he is crowned with a crown of thorns. But then in his glory, he is king of kings and lord of lords. So the crown on the Ark of the Covenant, on the table, and on the golden altar, all pointing to Jesus our Lord, who is King of kings and Lord of lords. So crown him with many crowns. We used to sing a long time ago. All right, number four, it's staves. And again, the same message, the staves were used uh, for the children of Israel when they're in their pilgrim journey through the wilderness, always pointing to that. And if you look at the scriptures I've given you there, two, uh, two scriptures there, let's go over to one of them anyway. And I've mentioned this thought before, but uh, now bringing it here. Let's go to 2 Chronicles chapter 5 and verse 9. 2 Chronicles chapter 5 and verse 9. All right, so 2 Chronicles verse 9. When, when the temple of Solomon was uh, built and the glory of God came and the Ark of the Covenant was put there, in verse 9 we're told, And they drew out the staves of the Ark, that the ends of the stave, uh, staves were seen from the ark before the oracle, but they were not seen without. And there it is unto this day. So in other words, the journey is over. The pilgrimage journey is over. The wilderness journey is over of the tabernacle. And now the ark finds its place in the temple. And, and as I've said before, the, uh, the, the church is never referred to as the temple of God. Uh, the, uh, the, uh, the tabernacle of God, pardon me. Church is referred to as the temple of God. So it's a picture of Christ taking his place in the church. The journey is over. The presence of God eternally with his people in the, in the, um, in the, in the temple of the Lord. All right, now, number five, I want to spend a bit of uh, uh, time on this, and we, we can only condense some of these things. Uh, those of you who know me know my fanaticism. I've done these things right through the total Bible, and uh, so we just have to uh, uh, draw some of the, the uh, major things here. All right, uh, I'll have the uh, whiteboard here a moment. Now, I'd like you on this part to, uh, first of all, I'm going to give some interpretation here. I want you to turn over to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. This is not on your notes, I don't think, this scripture. So 1 Peter chapter 1, and we'll pick up in verse 12. Now, as you, as you, uh, if you do, if you, if you read other books concerning the uh, tabernacle of Moses, this is the general teaching and uh, I have to disagree agreeably, okay, not my fault if I'm right. Um, uh, most of the teaching is that when the cherubims were made, and remember them, they were made out of one piece of gold. If you drop the owl, just think of one God. And then this one piece of gold, which was a masterpiece of, uh, of, of creativity that God told Moses to make, uh, out of the one piece of gold, the mercy seat, uh, the two cherubims were made, and, and the language, as I said, was so stupendous. The, the faces of the cherubim were to look one toward another, and yet they were to look toward the mercy seat. Now, the general teaching in most of the books you'll find on, written on the tabernacle of Moses interpret that this way. So let's read 1 Peter chapter uh, 1 and verse 12, and then I'll explain. So 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 12. And it says, um, uh, yeah, I better read verse 11. Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them uh, was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that should follow, to them it was revealed not, not unto themselves, but to us they were ministering the things which are now been preached or been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent down from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. 
So the general teaching based on this verse and interpreting the cherubim, uh, most of the teaching goes that the cherubim represent angels and that they're looking, uh, they desire to look into the mystery of our redemption. All right, now I want to refute that and uh, if, if you're on the other school, let's disagree agreeably. I want you to listen carefully. I believe that this is the most magnificent revelation of the triune God when it comes to symbolism that we have in the total Bible. Now, let's listen carefully. It, the, 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 the mercy seed and the cherubims, they were made out of one piece of pure gold. Now, you see, the Ark of the Covenant, the box, the chest light, and other furniture was wood overlaid with gold. But the mercy seed and the cherubim were made out of pure gold. Just drop the L, and gold always refers to the divine nature, refers to deity. So the divine nature. Now, not only that, this one piece of gold was fashioned into a triangle. So one God, but in the revelation, the biblical revelation of the one God, we have a revelation of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, just stay with me for a moment. Because uh, when you get to the New Testament, this is just awesome. Who, who do we identify the, the mercy seat to be? The Lord Jesus Christ. He is the mercy seat. Now, are angels one, if the cherubim, as has been taught generally that the cherubim represent angels, are angels one with the Lord Jesus Christ in the plan of redemption? No. Who are the only two persons who are one, one piece of gold that are joined with the Lord Jesus Christ. The Father and the Holy Spirit. And here's the magnificent revelation that this one piece of gold points to one God, but fashioned into a triangle, you've got on your notes there, it represents the Father and the Holy Spirit, one with Jesus Christ who is our mercy seat. And what are they doing? Their faces are looking one toward another and yet they're gazing with satisfaction upon the bloodstained mercy seat. That's worth a little hallelujah. Because what is on the mercy seat? Blood. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. What a magnificent revelation. So right in the midst of that triangle, please, there was the Shekinah glory of God. Now turn over to, I think this scripture is on your notes here. Uh, let, let's, uh, yeah, let's, uh, I think it is. Let's turn over to uh, this magnificent verse here and just bear with me on this a little bit. I want to spend a bit of time on this. Um, uh, turn to Numbers chapter 7. Numbers chapter, Numbers chapter 7. And uh, go to, I think it's the last verse, Numbers chapter 7 and verse uh, 89. Yes, um, uh, I mean, Numbers, pardon me, Numbers 7, verse 89. And listen to the language here. Now, when Moses went into the tabernacle of meeting to speak with him, he heard the voice of one speaking to him from above the mercy seat that was on the ark of the testimony from between the two cherubims, thus he spoke to him. So as Moses goes into the most holy place, the holiest of all, what does he hear? Supernaturally, he hears a voice that's speaking to him from where? From off a blood-stained mercy seat. In other words, all God's communications would come to Israel through the blood. God's got nothing to say to man apart from blood except judgment. But it's when I see the blood. It's the mercy seat. So as Moses goes into the tabernacle, he hears this voice supernaturally speaking to him off the blood-stained mercy seat from between the cherubims. Magnificent representation of God. Now, I want you to go to three scriptures with me. I'm sorry to get excited about that. Is that all right? I want you to go to the four scriptures, and I'm just giving you little gems here. Uh, here, that's all we can do. I want you to go to Genesis chapter 3. Let's, uh, let's uh, just, just see what God does. And, and this is what I call, you know, it's God's divine jigsaw puzzle. Uh, every writer in the Bible almost is given part of the puzzle. So I want you, first of all, uh, look at me with uh, Genesis chapter 3. 
And then we're going to go to uh, Genesis 3. Uh, I want you to go uh, to the next part. We'll put down Romans chapter 3, 25. These, these are on your notes between uh, point number 5, it's cherubim and it's mercy seat. And then we'll go to Psalm uh, 80 and verse 1, and then Psalm 99 and verse 1. So let's just look a little bit. As I said, I've done this thing right through the Word, but it's so mind-boggling. So let's go to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, and the verse is on your notes there, verse 21 to 24. Genesis 3, verse 21 to 24. All right, now Mr. and Mrs. Adam have bombed out. They've messed us all up. And uh, so God comes on the scene, kills an innocent animal, and uh, they throw away their fig leaf bikini suit and accept the coats of skin provided through the sacrifice of another. And so verse 21, Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skin and clothe them. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man is become as one of us to know good and evil. And now lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. You see, if he had have taken also of the tree of life and eaten and lived forever, he would have lived forever in an unredeemable state. So it was the mercy of God that drove him out of the garden. Okay, so lest he put forth uh, his hand and take also of the tree of life, he'd taken of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed. This word place is God caused to dwell. Listen carefully here. God caused to dwell or caused to tabernacle at the east of the garden of Eden, cherubims. And a flaming sword which turned every which way, every way to keep the way to the tree of life. Now, I can't, I can't uh, milk this too much. But here is the first revelation by implication. And I'm going to draw it just because of our language here. First uh, 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 implication of a tabernacle. So here's the picture. In the most holy place would be the tree of eternal life. And... Out here, uh, representatively, when God killed the animal, we have the coats of skin provided through the body and blood of a sacrificial victim. Later on in Leviticus, you'll find that the coat of skin or the skin of the animal was given to a priest. And here, Adam and Eve are constituted as priests, patriarchal priests in his home. Then when Cain and Abel brought their offering, they brought it to the gate Listen to the gate of Eden. And then they knew the only way to get back to the tree of life, God put cherubims and a flaming sword. So please note this, cherubims, first mention. Cherubims and a flaming sword. So it's a very interesting thought that the, that the, 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 the Garden of Eden was not destroyed until the flood. So we wonder where the patriarchs, where they came on certain day to uh, worship the Lord and bring their sacrifices. So my implication is this, that they would come to the gate of Eden. Now, when God uh, puts them out uh, of, of Eden here, they sort of are cast into the outer court. And so in Genesis chapter 4, Cain and Abel brought their offering. And we're told that they brought it to the gate of Eden. And so the Lord had respect unto Abel's offering because he came to God uh, by way of a body and blood sacrifice, the way of faith. By faith, Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice. Cain brought fruit of a cursed earth, a bloodless offering. So what I believe happened is that uh, uh, the, the, the cherubims and this flaming sword, this flaming sword, uh, the, the Hebrew thought is, it was turning every which way to keep the way, and, and, and I'm playing on the words here because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. You see, everything we lost in Adam is restored in Jesus. We lost the way in Adam. We lost the truth. They believed the lie. We lost the tree of eternal life. So everything we lost in Adam is restored in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. So he came to be to us all that Adam took away from us. So now I think that Adam and Eve would come in. Oh, if only we could get back to the tree of eternal life. But there's these cherubims and this sword that's turning every which way, guarding the tree of life. 
The way is gone. So how can we do that? Oh, the only way it means that somebody's got to go through the sword. And that means death. If you cut off the S, the sword is the word. So to get back to the tree of eternal life, it meant somebody had to get through the sword, that would mean death, and through those cherubims that were guarding the tree of life. How many see the picture? So when God placed at the east, and remember the tabernacle of Moses, years later, is placed at the east, and there's the gate, and just within the gate was the altar. So it's all seeded here in the book of Genesis, the seed book of the Bible. Now, let's go over for the next picture here. Hallelujah. How many are feeling a touch of God here? All right. Now, when we come to the next revelation of the tabernacle of Moses, as you've got in your diagram, uh, we have all this picture and fuller details now of what was seated in Genesis. So, so we've, we're in our approach to God, we've come through blood, just like Adam and Eve did and, and, and Abel. And then we go through the water. Then we come into the holy place. And now on the great day of atonement that we referred to last, last week, I was going to say last year, last week we touched the altar of incense and then we enter within the veil. But now, instead of cherubims, and uh, because my writing's a bomb, but you can put this down. Instead of cherubims and a flaming sword, listen carefully, we have cherubims and a blood-stained mercy seat. Hallelujah. And what is the blood on the mercy seat evidence of? The blood on the mercy seat is evidence of death. Somebody has been through the sword. Somebody's been through, the, through death. And you see, when Jesus died on the cross, the cross was that sword. And the blood on the mercy seat is the evidence of death. Now, let's go to our next scripture here. So instead of cherubims and a flaming sword... We turn cherubims and the bloodstained mercy seat. Now, let's go to Romans chapter 3. Oh, I'm getting too excited on this and our time's running away. All right. Because we believe the Bible's inspired. Yeah. Amen. Listen to the language here. So, uh, Romans chapter 3, and we'll pick up in verse uh, 22. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe... For there's no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Think of the glory of God. So, come short of the glory of God. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation. Everybody say propitiation with me. The Greek word there is hilasterion and it is literally mercy seat. So, God has set forth Jesus Christ to be a propitiation, to be a mercy seat through faith in his, say it with me, blood. Jesus Christ is the bloodstained mercy seat. Through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. So, in this case here, no mistake about it, the Lord Jesus Christ is our mercy seat. He is the bloodstained mercy seat. And the blood on the mercy seat is the evidence of his death. Now, it sort of somehow links up with the one and a half cubits here where the blood was shed and the one and a half cubits here where the blood was sprinkled. So one and a half cubits, one and a half cubits. Here's the place of sacrifice. Here's the place of mercy. Here's the judgment seat. Here's the mercy seat. What a picture. Now, just go quickly. We'll have to. Psalm 80. And, and, and because the writers are inspired by the Holy Spirit and God never forgets what he's written, <laughs> he doesn't think, oh, I forgot I'd written that there. I contradicted myself. No, he, <laughs> he doesn't do that. Listen to Psalm 80. Oh, what a prayer. Listen to this. Psalm 80, verse 1. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel. Who's the shepherd of Israel? Who's the good shepherd who gave his life? Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who dwell between the cherubim. Hallelujah. Shine forth. Who's the one dwelling between the Father and the Son? The Father and the Holy Spirit, the Lord Jesus Christ, the shepherd of Israel. Hallelujah. Shine forth. 
It all points to the shepherd now. And if you want to put that, that's the main thing we're picking up here. He is the shepherd. And the shepherd now, who has given his life for the sheep, which the blood is evidence of, he is now sitting between the cherubim. And so the psalmist is praying, Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who dwell between the cherubim, not between angels, but the Father and the blessed Holy Spirit. Shine forth. Let there be a manifestation of your glory. Everybody said amen. Go quickly to Psalm 99, then we'll have to move on. Psalm 99. So it's just all part of God's divine jigsaw puzzle. He doesn't uh, forget anything. Listen to verse 1. That'll do us. The Lord reigneth. Hallelujah. Let the people tremble. Where does he dwell? He dwells between the cherubim. Now you see, here the thought is, in this, he is the shepherd king. First a shepherd, then a king. But in every case, so here we have cherubims and a flaming sword. Here we have cherubims and a bloodstained mercy seat. Here we have cherubims and the shepherd. And here we have cherubims and the shepherd king. How many think the Bible could be inspired? Amen. Just part of the divine jigsaw puzzle. And I've done that through the total Bible. We'd have to have the everlasting gospel. All right. Okay, so I hope I've convinced you anyway that the cherubim are not angels, but the cherubim, one cherubim one end and one cherubim on the other end, are one with the mercy seat beaten out of one piece of gold, one God triune manifestation and the glory in the midst. Hallelujah. All right, let's move on quickly now. Wow. Uh, but they tell me we enjoy your tangents better than your teaching. Okay, the mercy seat. All right, I've done enough on that. One piece of gold, pure gold and God speaking from a bloodstained mercy seat. All right, under number six, uh, have you got this? Yes, we'll come back to that in a moment. The contents of the ark, and this is found in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 1 to 5. We have the tables of the law. Just make a, a little note on this because I see my time keeps racing here. The tables of the law point to the Father. The Father God, the lawgiver. The golden pot of manna points to the Son. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they're dead, but I am the bread of our, I'm the real manna. So the pot, golden pot of manna, the Son. And Aaron's rod that budded, the fruit, is the Holy Spirit. So in the contents of the ark, which we could spend a, you know, a night on each of those, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the fullness of the Godhead bodily revealed in the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, number seven, its position. The only article in the holiest of all within the veil. So it's the only article in the holiest of all. The holy place had three articles of furniture, outer court two, but the most holy place, the holiest of all, only had one article. And have you ever thought of these scriptures, you know, that says the, the whole earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Do you realize that as long as the tabernacle was in the wilderness, when the high priest went within the veil, he actually was walking in the presence of the glory of God and the glory of God was covering the earth and have you ever thought I mentioned this last week the measurements of the holy place the holiest of all was 10 by 10 by 10 which equals a thousand and in the millennial kingdom which is a thousand years of Christ reigning on earth the whole earth will be filled with his glory Amen. and we walk in the glory of that light all shadowed forth there alright uh, number 8 it's coverings just put this briefly down. First of all, it was covered with the veil. Now, just think of this. As the, as the priest went in for the next journey, they would take the covering veil and walk forward and lay it over the ark. So no human eye ever saw the ark, only the high priest on the great day of atonement. So the veil. Then number two, the next covering was the badger skins. Some say pauper skins, but badger skins. And then on top of that, there was the third uh, covering, and that was the cloth of blue. So as the children of Israel were marching through the wilderness, all the other articles were covered with various cloths and the badger skins, but they say, see that article there, that cloth of blue, heavenly blue, that's the Ark of the Covenant going before us, leading the way. That's the pic picture we have. 
And then uh, number nine, it's importance. I think I've said enough on that for our time's sake. More on this article than all other, other articles uh, put together. And uh, it was the leading article, the glory of God. All right, and then its significance, note this, pardon me here. Uh, the significance was letter A, it represented the throne of God in the earth. So think of that, the throne of God in the earth. And then letter B, it was the presence of God. The presence of God. C, it's the only article on which the glory of God, so the glory presence of God uh, was there. And then number D, it represented the holiness of God and also the judgment of God. And then letter F, the mercy of God. I'd like to encourage you to read those scriptures, you know. Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. I want you to go over to uh, um, 1 Samuel chapter, 1 Samuel chapter, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 6. And uh, by the way, this scripture is not on your notes. If you want all the scriptures, buy a book entitled The Tabernacle of Moses by KJC. All right, 1 Samuel chapter 6, listen to this. Now, just uh, very briefly as we're looking at this, 1 Samuel chapter 6, we find that the... Uh, uh, nation of Israel had backslidden and then God allowed the Philistines to come in and uh, capture the ark. Eli and Phineas, there was death, death, death everywhere, everywhere, anybody who touched the ark when the Philistines touch it. I want you to pick out, uh, I, want, I want to pick out just this uh, in, incident here. First uh, Samuel chapter 6 and uh, we'll go down to verse... Verse 19, 1 Samuel chapter 6, verse 19. And he, referring to God, he struck, struck the men of Beth Shemesh. Why? Because they had looked into the ark of the Lord. He struck 50,070 men of the people. And the people lamented because the Lord had struck the people with a great slaughter. And the men of Beth Shemesh said, Who is able to stand before this holy Lord God, and to whom shall it go up from us? Now, let me say this, and I, 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 in doing this, I'm trying to refute some uh, things that ministers, I think, in their ignorance say. They say, oh, don't worry about the, you know, the Old Testament, the Ark of the Covenant, and all this, you know, it doesn't matter. Hey, this was only a little piece of wood overlaid with gold. Just a box. But it's what it meant to God. Because as this ark is being taken from place to place, everywhere this box overlaid with gold and cherubim, it's just bringing death, death, death. Now, the worst case, the worst scenario is, as the ark is coming back to the people of God, the men of Beth Shemesh, what do they do? They peek into the ark. And they didn't, you know, the attitude, oh, it's only a bit of wood overlaid with gold, who cares about it? They peeked into the ark and 50,070 people were slain. Why? It's what it meant to God. Now listen to the, you see, in the Bible, God often gives us the account and the story, but he doesn't tell us the meaning behind the story. It's the glory of kings. It's the glory of God to, to conceal a matter, but it's the honor of kings to search it out. So what's the thing? You see, when they lifted the ark, they lifted the, the mercy seat. And once you remove the mercy seat, and the mercy seat has what on it? They had to remove the mercy seat. They had to remove the bloodstained mercy seat. And when they looked into the ark, what did they see? The Ten Commandments. And Paul says the law is a ministration of death. So once you put aside the bloodstained mercy seat to get out the Ten Commandments, which are a ministration of death, it is death. That's the message behind the story. See, we read the story, but we miss the message behind it. You pick up the message as you understand the word. So, nothing to God, it's what it meant to God. So when I hear preachers say, oh, all that stuff, don't worry about it. Hey, tell it to God. Tell it to these guys here. 50,070 dead meat. Oh, it's nothing, nothing in it. Whew. It was to us when we lifted the lid. We're dead. 50,070 of us. There must be something in it. Amen? That's what I'm trying to say. There is something in it. All right. Let's move on.
Okay, sorry we can't go through these scriptures. All right, now, application. First of all, it's to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, all the other furniture finds its fulfillment in him, but this strictly finds its fulfillment in him because uh, I'd like you to put this statement down. All that the ark was to Israel in the Old Testament, so is Christ to the church in the New Testament. Let me say it again. So all that the ark was to Israel in the Old Testament, so is Christ to the church in the New Testament. That, that's the key to it. So all that the ark was to Israel in the Old Testament, so is, is Christ to the New Testament church. Everybody said amen. So one more time. So all that the ark was to Old Testament Israel, so is Christ to the New Testament church. All right, so I think I've got it spelled out there. So he is God's tabernacle among men. The word was made flesh and tabernacle among us. He is God's glory. And this is off your, your notes here under number one, the bullets. Uh, on the Mount of Transfiguration, the glory of God shone through his physical body. His face, his raiment became white as light. That was the Shekinah glory hidden within the veil of the tabernacle of his flesh. The fullness of the Godhead bodily is in him. He kept the law perfectly, the only man that has ever kept the law. He is the manner of life, he's the bread of life. He says, to him that overcomes, I will give to eat of the hidden manna. And the hidden, hidden manna was in the Ark of the Covenant. And uh, under the bullet there, the rod that budded the life. The reason the rod budded was they were contesting over Aaron as the great high priest. And so God said, okay, bring 12 rods and put them before the Lord. In the morning, only one rod budded. God brought resurrection life out of death and it had the name of Aaron the high priest on it. Now, what, what's the message behind that story? All the religions of the world, all their founders are dead. There is only one that God has raised to life, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is God's seal, that he alone is the anointed and appointed high priest. Hallelujah. I am the way, the truth, and life. No man comes unto the Father. So the resurrection is God's proof. He is our bloodstained mercy seat. And uh, under, under this bullet here, significant, the first journey of the ark, I'll put the scriptures there for you, the first journey of the ark was three days' journey. For three days' journey. And you know what the purpose of the three days' journey was? To find rest for the people of God. And Jesus Christ he has made the three days journey to find rest for us. Worth a hallelujah. Now, let's go to one uh, scripture here. And I've given you enough material here. But go over to Luke chapter 18. And th th this, you know, it, even though I've taught these things over years and that, it's still so overwhelming to me. I hope you feel the same way. Turn to, turn to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18 and the scriptures, uh, passages on your notes there, Luke 18 and uh, Luke 18 verse 9, have I got it right? Yes, yes, so uh, Luke 18 verse 9, thank you. And he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even, even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Five times. He said, I. How many of you know he needed to see an eye specialist? <laughs> I, 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 I. The devil said, I will, I will, I will, five times too. Here's this man just full of pride. And the tax collector, standing afar off, we would, not, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Underline the word merciful if you haven't already. You know what he's saying? God, be mercy seated to me, a sinner. So his prayer begins with God. It ends up with his position as being a sinner. And right in between... He's praying, God, be mercy seated to me, a sinner. 
the Pharisee prayed with himself. Worst stupid guy to pray with is pray with yourself. <laughs> Full of I, 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 I. Uh, and, and what happened? The, 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 the publican went home justified and the Pharisee went home petrified. <laughs> well, not quite. <laughs> Just uh, alliteration there. But that's, that's it. So we come with that type of prayer. God, be mercy seated to me, a sinner. How many can say amen? That's grace. Jesus Christ, our mercy seat. Wow, what an awesome picture. All right, we're going to have to finish on this. So, you know, we come boldly to the throne of grace. We find grace to help in time of mercy. Find mercy, mercy. Think of the mercy seat, so forth. I want you to go over to... Um, yeah, how will we do this? Um, I think I'll just say it. Uh, yeah. You've got, you've got the scriptures on your notes there. Now, as we... I'll, I'll, I'll cut this part off here. As you go through the total uh, biblical revelation on this, you find that God is sort of adding, you know, bits of the uh, picture all the way through. So here we would put Exodus chapter 25 right through to 40, God setting up the tabernacle uh, and, and so forth. Now... As you continue God's revelation, so God has something in mind. When they come into the promised land, just put your timeline here, Joshua chapter 6. Then next one, just to give you a little picture of it, 1 Samuel chapter 15 and 16. Then 2 Chronicles chapter 5. And then we'll go to our last reference here, Revelation 11, 19. Now, because of the significance of this ark pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ himself, God is continually using this ark of the covenant to get a message to us. So you think what happened in Joshua chapter 6, and I'll play on the words because the Bible does here. They're going to go into the promised land, and so God says, I want you to take the ark of the covenant, and I want you to march around the wall. And as they march around the wall, Seven times, seven days a week. And on the seventh day, they march seven times. And as they're blowing the trumpets, what happens? The walls collapsed and they took the kingdom. Now, when you get to the book of Revelation, John sees seven angels. We saw it last week, but we didn't pick it up. With seven trumpets. And when the trumpets blow and the seventh angel sounds... It says, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. So what happened in Jericho on one city was a pointer to what happens to all cities when Jesus Christ comes a second time. Hallelujah. Seven times. And what happens here? In this picture, when David comes along, because of some backsliding here, God told David to set up the tabernacle of David. And in the tabernacle of David, David brings the ark, and listen to the, the prophetic significance of this, which I've done in tabernacle of David. The ark of the covenant never, ever was restored to the tabernacle of Moses. And so when the issue comes, they put the ark of the covenant here, and what, what happens? David sets up this whole order of the singers and the musicians and everything that we have of Davidic type of worship. And you see, it's shadowing something here because there was a company of priests over here on Tabernacle Mode. There was a company of priests over here. But you see, there was no veil between. They only entered straight into the most holy place, into the very presence of God. And you see, when this is taken up in Acts chapter 15, the big fusser of the Gentiles, he says, God said through Amos, I'm going to build again the tabernacle of David, which is fallen down. Not the tabernacle of Moses. If they were building the tabernacle of Moses again, then they would have the Gentiles coming under the law. But he said, I'm going to build the tabernacle of David. And the Gentiles will come into that. 
and there's the whole revelation of what we believe in Davidic worship and entrance right into the presence of God. Hallelujah. No veil because it was torn from top to bottom when Jesus died on the cross. In the Temple of Solomon, the next picture, listen to this. On the day of the dedication, 120 trumpeters were making one sound in one accord and the glory of God filled the temple and nobody could minister. When I come to the dedication of the New Testament church, on the day of Pentecost, there's 120 believers in one place of one accord. And the Shekinah glory, the Holy Spirit, came down from heaven as a rushing mighty wind and filled the whole place. And they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave their utterance. All these are like cameos of what God was going to do in the church. Now, I've got time to give you one more scripture. Uh, uh, Turn to Revelation chapter 11. So I'd like to encourage you to read these things, meditate upon them, keep your notes. Revelation chapter 11. And this is the final reference to the Ark of the Covenant in the total Bible, but I want you to know where the real Ark is. And then we're going to sneak in one more. All right, Revelation chapter 11 and verse 19. And the temple of God was opened where? In heaven. Not Jerusalem, in heaven. And there was seen in his temple the ark of his testament. And there were lightnings and voices and thunderings and earthquake and great hail. When you see the ark of God coming into activity, and you'll notice it is connected with verse 15, the seventh angel sounded, saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. He shall reign forever. All right, now quickly we've got about... Two minutes, uh, turn over to the last reference in, uh, to the ark in the Old Testament, Jeremiah chapter 3, and uh, just, uh, just raise your hands quickly if you've heard that. How many have seen this um, video that's floating around that they have found the ark of the covenant in Jerusalem? How many, put your hands up, okay. How many have heard the teaching, and I've seen it myself and heard it, how many have heard the teaching that that they have found the ark and the, the Jews in Jerusalem won't let it out. And this guy is supposed to have taken pictures, but nothing ever came out and um, so forth. And that, that that was where the cross of Jesus actually stood and the blood from his body dripped through the crack in the earth right onto the ark of the covenant. How many have heard that? Okay, some of you, some of you intelligent people. Okay, get with it, do something, you know. Okay, I have to refute that. Because in uh, Jeremiah chapter 3 and verse 15, this is the last, please listen, when the temple was destroyed, this is the last reference to the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament. Verse 17, verse 16. And it shall come to pass when ye be multiplied and increased in the land in those days, says the Lord, they shall say no more the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, neither shall it come to mind neither shall they remember it, neither shall they visit it, neither shall that be done anymore. God is no longer interested in the material ark. He's interested in his son, who is our mercy seat and the glory of God personified. We hope you've enjoyed today's podcast. Visit kevinconnor.org for more information.